Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Powered by over five or powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Got to get rid of the uh, old read out of my head. It's funny when you do this radio thing long enough, like the reads are just like implanted into your brain. Yeah. And then when they change them, it is like panic. Well, you've, yeah. No, there's a new read. <laughs> you forget halfway I through. I feel so bad. Like, no, Kintech, we love you. And you bring the email up quickly. And you just kind of sputter your way through it. But no, it, it kind there of are no better orthotics than Kintech. No, there there are none. And uh, sometimes we need to break through muscle memory. Yes. You know, like those are the kind of the things you got to do. Like it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's like uh, it's like learning a swing change in yeah. golf. You know, you really got to go through it a bunch of times before it sticks. Well, you know that better than anybody yes. at this point. Well, no, it's just that I've been trying and it still has. You know the process. You know the process really well. Uh, the the results have obviously um, uh, not quite been there. Not, but not I, quite yet. But I, I think you know what it is, Dan. It's like anything else. You got to put in hard work. Yes. And long term, and then it pays off. <laughs> that's that's how you'll get it done uh, in the end. Uh, all right, it is uh, Dan Richo and Satya Shah. So a little bit of an abbreviated version of Canuck Central today, as uh, we'll take you through the pregame coming up after four o'clock. Canucks are in Dallas to close out this little four-game road trip and try to complete it with three wins in four games, which uh, would be pretty impressive if you ask me. So what we're going to do instead, Shana Goldman's going to join us coming up after 3.30. But right now, let's get to the mailbag. It's Mailbag Friday on Canuck Central. Your questions for us. It is clearly not Friday, though. No, it is not Friday. But we will not be doing a show tomorrow. No. And uh, well, I mean, we'll be back for pregame for Saturday. Saturday. Yep. And we'll be working the uh, Canucks games for the next week. But otherwise, we will be off to enjoy the holidays. Yeah, there's two days, the 23rd and 28th. Yeah. So outside of that, um, you're probably not going to hear us unless, unless. There's some breaking news that happens Ooh. once the roster freeze lifts. When when does that happen? Like the 28th? 8th? Yeah, like right All after right. the first game they play. I mean, it's the first game back from their break. Right. Okay, so maybe, just maybe, sometime next week we'll end up with a emergency program for you. But until then, we're on just for the game day, so it's a mailbag. Let's get to uh, producer Elon Chark. Got the questions for us today. Coming in hot with the Canucks questions, Jay, do you think this season's results validate our decision to grind out every win last year long after we had been eliminated from the playoffs? Ah, justifies, validates. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where... I, I don't believe they were doing everything humanly possible to win. Like they were shutting guys down. <laughs> Remember we talked about yeah. this. Like guys weren't playing and, and um, yeah, sure. Like... Demko played a bunch of games. Maybe he played a couple of games too much. But um, does it justify it? I, I guess yes. The good start. Like, doesn't a good start justify everything Taka did last year when he took over in terms of getting them prepared for this season, considering yeah. how well they've started off? It was that was ultimately what they wanted to do, right? They yeah. wanted to get Rick Taka in so he could start to put the structure into place. And instead, what happened? Once they started winning a bunch of games. Like, I, I think they expected a little bit of a coach bump. Yeah. But not as much of a coach bump as they ended up getting. Now, it didn't help that 
results-wise, it didn't help that Thatcher Demko got back. But as we talked about, it was very important for Demko to come back from his injury and feel good about himself and grow some confidence back going into this season. So there was a lot of factors there. Like, yes, a new coach comes in and he wants to win games, of course. And the players, they're always going to want to win games. They don't want to tank. But I'm not sure management, you know, helped them along to all the wins that they got towards the end of the season. I, I don't know if that's... That's really how the plan was laid out by the uh, by the front office. However, they won a bunch of games, and they've continued winning games this year, so it's worked out. If the Canucks are still sitting at one or two in the West at the trade deadline, should the 2024 first-round pick be in play? Yes, for the right player. Yeah, I mean, a player with real term on his yeah. contract, like that you have control on beyond this year. Like, I'm not really all that interested in and we've discussed this quite a bit but trading the first round pick for any sort of a rental uh just don't see the value in that for the vancouver canucks even somebody like okay elias lindholm i like him as a player do i think the canucks should give up whatever Calgary's looking for to acquire a player of that stature plus have to give that player a contract, a big contract. I'm not sure even that makes a ton of sense with Pedersen on the books for a new deal, Hronik on the books for a big new deal. I think it's got to be, if you're using the first-round pick, you want somebody with at least another year of control before you have to re-up that player. That would be my answer. Yeah, that's kind of where I would be at it, too. Like it's If you can have somebody that... You can have for a while that fits into your range, sure, but not for rentals. Man, I I chirp Ross Atkins so much about like years of control thing, and here I am saying like that's that's what the Canucks should be looking for: <laughs> years of control, service time. But that's... he's this, he's disingenuous about it. Like he'll be like, they add three players with seven years of control. He's just like, we got twenty one years of control. It's like, well, like come on. Second straight game being scratched. Fifth on the season is Kuzi traded before the deadline. Uh Ooh, Taylor, coming in hot. Is Kuzi traded before the deadline? I don't know, man. Like you hear a bunch of stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff is. Uh, right, look, uh, Elliot and uh, Merrick were talking about it today on the morning uh, yeah. on the Merrick show again. It's been in all around the news. Guy scores thirty nine goals last year. Now he can't get into the lineup. Can't get any minutes from this new head coach. It's it's going to create a bit of a buzz around the league. It's one of those things where. There's a roster freeze right now. Nothing yeah. can happen anyways. But based on how much like buzz there's out there all of a sudden around Kuzmenko and the stuff that kind of comes up, stuff that, you know, some the thing is you oftentimes get messages and calls and you will hear some sort of a rumor. And then you'll look into it and it's like there's nothing there. Yeah. And not to say there's there's anything, you know, there with Kuzmenko in terms of a deal is imminent or anything. But there's enough buzz out there that once a trade freeze lifts, like, I'm interested to kind of see what happens. Yeah. So to answer the question, will he be traded before the deadline? I used to, I was very firmly and probably not. Mm -hmm. Like I'm I'm probably leaning 60, 40. Oh, that he, that he gets moved or that he stays like 60, 40. Uh, So I'd say 60, 40. He's, he goes. Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Hey, we'll see what happens. I mean, teams could be interested. Who knows? It's, but I don't uh, know. Look, (laughs) 
Teams are definitely interested. Um, it's right now. It's very hard to see how Kuzmenko gets back into the good books. Well, I mean, I think there's a pathway, right? But like, he's not getting in to the game tonight in Dallas. So, do we see him against San Jose? Yep. And if not, so one of the teams, one of the few teams he scored against this year. Yeah, I mean, he's got to get in the lineup first before he can earn his way back in. Yeah. He looks enthused to be here, right? We saw. Was it Joshua Griffiths tweeted out that he spoke to Dan Milstein? Yeah. That and Milstein said he's working with the Canucks and everything is positive and he wants to be here. And that's what it looks like. And he has a no trade clause, right? But partial, partial no trade clause. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's not that simple. It's not like you can just you know trade him tomorrow. No. Um, you go through the list and and you know, would teams want to add an Andre Kuzmenko? Do they think they can get that player going? Sure. It's a sizable cap charge would have to be probably the Canucks taking back some kind of a player as well. Uh, I'm I'm still curious about this one, but obviously now with the situation continuing to play out in the way that it is, it's very hard to see. Like it, it would be, it almost feels disingenuous to say that a, a trade isn't possible at at this point with the way things have gone. I'll say that. What specifically would Alvin need to add to make the Canucks a legit contender? A couple of examples. A hard-nosed scoring winger, number 3D, penalty-killing center. I want you guys to choose one each. Okay. Um, I'll take a hard-nosed top six. Hard-nosed top six. Could be a center, could be a wing. Yeah, I mean, I'd say wing. For yeah. now. I mean, yes, I mean, center-wise, but I do think you have Beluger, you have Hugh Suter, too. Pedersen's good defensively. JT's all right. Like, sure, long-term, you, you know, but I think the scoring winger is easier to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, still have Travis Konechny as my uh, my number one. Of course you do. Number one in my heart. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, so that would be the, the hard-nosed scoring winger type. I um, The way this team is playing on the back end, I'm not sure it makes sense for them to spend or use whatever they have from their available assets to add another defenseman, right? You get Susie back. You've got six guys that are playing pretty well together right now. You've got a lot of size. I'm not saying... They should completely avoid the idea of adding Chris Tanev. But I'm saying, do I really want to pay what it's going to cost to get Chris Tanev? No, I don't. The cost of acquisition I don't like. That's the problem. Especially when, like, everybody's talking about, oh, Tanev would love a reunion with Vancouver. Well, okay, let's see if it happens next summer in free agency. When it doesn't cost a second-round pick or whatever it may be. Like, the Canucks, for as much as I just said, you know, I would be interested in in trading the Canucks' first-round pick this year, they do have to still be wary of how much they trade, you know, because they aren't a surefire contender right now. They don't have a second round pick this year. Like, Do you want to go into the summer without a first or a second round pick in this upcoming draft? Not With really. the shallow prospect pool you already have? The only way you can, you can justify something like that is something we've discussed in the past. Do you move Myers? If you right. trade Myers, let's say you get a second for Myers. Get an then- asset from somewhere else and then use that to maybe add... Uh, a, a defenseman. Yeah, and then maybe you have to add in a prospect or something, but it's not going to be like Karamaki or Willander or anything. So, right. like, do you do that and you and then you're pick neutral because you're not trading one of your own picks? That would be more ideal. But again, I, 
Myers, would you get a second round pick for Myers? You, you might. I'm, I'm just saying. Like, yeah. let, let's just say it's a third. But then you have to add on top of that, whatever yeah. it is, right? So it's a, an interesting spot. Um, other than that, like those are the two things I think long-term this roster needs. So if you could add before the deadline, ideally it would be the top six wing or a another big time defenseman similar to a Philip Ronick type, but I, I don't I don't really consider Chris Tanev to be that guy, right? Because of his age, Hronik uh, is just a, a different class of player. If they could add another defenseman in that sort of caliber class, then I think that would be super interesting. Sort of get your off-season work done at the same time as the trade deadline to set you up for the playoffs. Yeah, Dan, you mentioned Konechny and Tanev, but do you guys have any other players on your Canucks Christmas wish list? Adam Larson uh, is another one that would be interesting on the defense front. Yeah. Somebody a little bit more higher end, in my humble opinion, than, uh, than even Chris Tanev. Not sure how available he really is. Um. I'd also be curious about <laughs> this is um probably probably a strange one but he's not really a top 6 guy but could he add something in the bottom 6? I've always kind of liked Alex Barabanov with San Jose. Yeah. You know, he's he's like a low end uh so, like, Barbashev is the high tier of yeah. the, that type of Russian winger. <laughs> then there's Mikheyev. And then it's maybe Barabanov below them in the next tier. So, do you want another sort of bottom six wing type that could give a little bit of that hard uh, offense to your team? And he's not young. I think he's, like, 29 or 30 years old. So, it's uh, not really a, a long-term solution. But uh, that's kind of a player I, I sneakily – enjoy whenever the Canucks play the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, uh, I've always liked his game a lot, too. Um, so he's not, he's not the biggest guy, but he is thick. Yeah. And, no. he, and he plays tough. Yeah. I mean, the one guy I look at is uh, Pavel Buchnevich. That's another guy. Uh, that would be a nice pickup. I'd, I'd be looking at him. Has a couple years. Has one more year beyond this. Not a crazy salary, $5.8 million. He's 28 years old still. But a legit offensive driver. Yeah. And I'm not sure it would have to cost a first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would, but... That's a guy I would also keep in mind. When, not if, the NBA comes back to Vancouver, are you going to be a full supporter of the team, and would you be covering the team as well? I mean, uh, would we be covering the team? It really depends on what our show would be like. I would make it a point to like follow the team, yes. And I'd take go to as many games as I could as media. Yeah. Maybe we do like a podcast on the side. We we would would Sportsnet 650 would definitely build out some form of Vancouver basketball uh, coverage. Yes, we uh, may not be like the headliners on the basketball show because yeah. we do so much Canuck stuff. Exactly, uh, you might have a separate, let's say Grizzlies show on the station that takes over uh, one of the time slots in the afternoon or whatever it might be. Uh, would we cover the team explicitly? I, you know, it's takes a lot to cover the Canucks. So yeah. I don't know if you cover both teams as deeply as you possibly can if you're doing both. Well, and the season runs at the same time. Yes. So, and if we're just Canucks Central, it's kind of hard to, you know. Otherwise, I will say this, like, 
if I weren't covering the team, it leaves more space to be a fan of the team. So there's a win-win situation from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, I'd be down to like do a weekly podcast or something about the basketball yeah. team if people would even want us to talk about it. Maybe yes. they want you know some actual basketball experts. <laughs> like I love ball, but yeah. you know I'm not going to pretend that I'm Marcus Fitzgerald with my basketball knowledge currently. Uh, what what if they're as bad as the Detroit Pistons? Would you still want to watch? Yeah, man, we watch the Grizzlies, man. We watch the Grizzlies. Well, that was my question was going to be, do you automatically become a hardcore fan if we get a team here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a Lakers fan. Yeah. Right? But I'd I, I, I 100% support the team. Um, I'd be cheering for them to win. What have the Pistons lost? 24 in a row, is it? Something They have two wins in the season? 24 in a row. They have, one, they have, two, they have two wins? Yeah. Two wins. Are they going to win five by the end of the season? <laughs> They're what the, what we thought the Sharks were. Yes, actually, yes. except they have the highest paid coach in the NBA. Yeah, how does that even happen? Bring back Dwayne Casey. <laughs> Dwayne Casey got jobbed. Uh, all right, next. What's your guys' favorite sports memory of 2023 as we wind up the year? This could be in-person event, something you watched on TV or experienced. Ooh, that is a. I'm putting them on the spot here. I did not ask. Yeah, them yeah. Best 2023 sports memory. Well, sat as a uh, noted Lakers fan, I'm sure uh, the in-season cup. As they raise the banner and <laughs> then raised... lose to the Knicks by yeah. 20. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But hey, hey at least they won the cup, right? Uh, I mean, that, honestly, like, considering how bad the year was for Chelsea, I'd say the Browns have had a good year this year. Yeah. Do you have one? Do you have a moment? I... Uh, I would say the the most memorable game of the year for me was probably the Super Bowl. Right? Like it was a yeah. wild game. Yeah, that and was then a great the, game. the the call in in the fourth quarter, the PI call or non-call and uh man, that game was absolutely wild. It gave everything you wanted it to be. You know, Patrick Mahomes is way down at the end of the first half and then he just Keeps going, chucking yeah. away at it, chucking away, and he wins it. And that, for me, was one of the best moments of 2023, sports-wise. Um, my personal team, Juventus, didn't have any very many good moments. So, that was yeah, good. I would have, I would say, I would agree that probably Super Bowl it was a great game. Yeah, uh, Champions League was pretty good. <laughs> oh, you enjoyed watching Manchester City win. No, I mean, it was a good match. <laughs> uh, do you have one, Elon? Yeah, it's a little different than yours. I went to the uh, BC Lions game in Hamilton this year. Oh, there you I go. And I flew with the team. Right. Game-winning field goal, back on the plane, I'll just say. It was a wild time after a win like that. Oh, amazing. That's got to be my favorite memory uh, of the year. That's, that's a good memory. That's good. I like yeah, that. That's good. That's a pretty good memory. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, so we were talking about the Super Bowl. Yeah. What's your guys' dream Super Bowl matchup this year? The dream Super Bowl matchup of this year. Well, I had the Cowboys going to the Super Bowl, but I don't know if that would be the dream Super Bowl matchup. No, I had the Niners. For me, I mean, what would it be? For me, it would be like Niners-Browns, like two defensive teams going head-to-head. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't know, man. The Joe Flacco redemption yeah. story wins yeah. another one. And Brock Joe Flacco Purdy. is elite. In the end, he is elite. Yeah, and, and I mean uh, – Brock Purdy apparently drawing Lamar Jackson comparables on uh, on Twitter. I don't so, know what's going on about that, but I think Bills Niners would be the best game. 
I, like the Bills might be the best team in the AFC, and they may not make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, Bills Niners would be a good game. Well, it's got to be Niners in the NFC, I think. Yeah. After yeah. you see the Cowboys and Eagles lose those games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the Cowboys. Um, I think they're talented. I think they're fun. I'm not. I think the Eagles are a bit overrated. That's my, been my thing this year about them. I mean, they're good, but Jalen Hurts is kind of overrated. Hey, man, I said. I, I, last year, remember I said I like Dak better than Jalen Hurts. People texted and called me an idiot. Like, yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. Stick the hockey set. Now what? <laughs> could Brock Purdy win MVP? Uh, could yes. Why not? Like, would would you choose? Would you vote for Brock Purdy over Christian McCaffrey? Uh, yes. Really? This, this is the argument people say against Purdy. You can look at the stats. You can look look at his team. But if you're a defensive coordinator of the opposing team. Yeah. He's not the number one guy you're breaking down watching film for, right? Yeah. No, but at the same time, like, he's crushing it. <laughs> like, he's going to throw for, like, 4,000 yards this year, right? Yeah. Um, he's going to have over 30 touchdowns. Yeah. Um, he's got, what, like, seven picks. In a year where the quarterback class has not, not been exactly good. been great. No, it hasn't. Hasn't. Like, if, if Brock, if this was um, a quarterback who had more of renown, would there be a debate about him being the MVP right now? If he was like, so you're saying if he was a first overall pick instead or, of Mr. Irrelevant. Yes. Or, we have a very different view of Brock Purdy. Is or what, what if saying? Patrick Mahomes was having the, the, uh, the Purdy year. season right now? Yeah. Is there any way he's not MVP? Is anybody making the case he's well, not MVP? Yeah. Do we knock Patrick Mahomes for having Andy Reid? Again, arguably one of the best offensive play callers. But it's like with Purdy... He gets docked points because Kyle Shanahan runs that offense. And fair enough. I'm just saying. You're right. But I'm saying just in terms of like how he's playing. And I'm, I'm not even a Niners guy. I, I can't would, believe I'm I, doing this. Personally, I wouldn't. I'd still vote McCaffrey over. Uh, McCaffrey's been great. I'm a big Christian McCaffrey fan. Huge. Uh, all right. Do the Seahawks squeak into the playoffs? And if yes, who do you want in round one? Lions, Eagles, or Cowboys, assuming the Niners get the bye? Well, they just beat the Eagles, so I'd say Eagles. And given the schedule, you know what? I might be voting with my heart here, and my Seahawks bias is definitely showing. But given the schedule, Seahawks, they could very well win out and end up in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean it's it's tight, man. It's 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 really incredible when you look at both playoff races and both conferences. Yeah, because like in the NFC, a ten-win team's gonna miss the playoffs, mm-hmm. and maybe a, a nine-win team makes the playoffs in uh, the or eight-win team maybe even makes the playoffs in the uh, NFC. It, in the NFC, well, there's the very real chance. Well, I guess the Buccaneers right now are seven and seven. So and so are the the Saints. So one of the NFC South teams might end up getting to nine nine wins. But after that, you could still. I, I think nine and eight is going to have to be at least the bar to get in, rather than eight and nine. Yeah, but for the Lions too. I mean, we saw the Packers beat them. We saw the Bears beat them. These teams are beatable. The Seahawks Everybody's could go beatable. on a little run here. Yeah, the Seahawks could. I think the Seahawks could win out. There's a chance they do that. Need Geno back. Much as I love Drew Locke's uh, <laughs> Monday night to remember, I don't know if it's repeatable. I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah, this was a good one from Canadian Hustler. If Sweden plays Canada for gold at the upcoming World Juniors, who are you rooting for? Oh, uh, I'll root for Canada. This is definitely directed at Sat. Yes, I'll be rooting for Canada. I mean, I grew up in Sweden. And yeah. by the way, I'm watching that Borja show on Crave. 
about Boris good? Helming. I've two episodes in. It's good. It's good. A lot of sweet. It's, it's, it's like makes me brush up on my Swedish again. Yeah. It's fan brings back some some memories too. It's really good. Um, I, I'd still I root for Canada. This uh, I, I'm definitely rooting for Canada. I, I, I'm I'm always torn. Like I, it, it always kind of it's hard watching them play against one another. I will say. I guess the other flip side of this is um, the Canucks' two top prospects are going to be on the Swedish World Junior team. So would you? Actually, I wish them luck. Is, is DPD on the on the Swedish Junior team as well? Yeah. So they've got three and. Otherwise, you know, if you're a, a Canucks fan that's not going to cheer for Canada for whatever reason, you could be very well cheering for Sweden and to see Tom Willander and Jonathan Lekaramaki having success. All that being said, not a huge fan of the World Junior Tournament. It's fine. It's fine. It's fun. It's good. It's good to have some hockey on in the morning when you get up. Yes. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Just don't overrate it. That's all. It's don't fine. get too hyped or too disappointed. That's that's all I'll say. That's it. That's we'll it. finish it off with a Christmas-related question. You guys got to rank these Christmas dinner staples. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy, green beans, cranberry, yams, Brussels, and mac and cheese. Just choose your top three. Okay. Uh, mac and cheese, because it's always great. Yes. Um, mashed potatoes. Yes. I don't know. Like... Gravy? You need gravy with the mashed potatoes, so I'm putting gravy in my top three. You do, but, but like I, can, I, I like mashed potatoes so much, I don't even need gravy. <laughs> so I'm trying to think. If you're choosing green beans. No, I'm not, not, not choosing the green beans. Big disagree. Um, what, do we ha- what else was, was it? It was uh, stuffing. Stuffing, cranberry, yams, yams, Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are really good. Mm-hmm. Maybe Brussels sprouts. Oh. Yeah. You put like a little bacon and Parmesan cheese on them? Parmesan. Not mm-hmm. always bacon. But uh, yeah, Parmesan. The very, like roasted Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Very tasty. Um, I like them as well. Not really. No? That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Shana Goldman is going to join us on Canuck Central. in on Canuck Central. We're here in the Kintec studio. This hour is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, it's Canuck Central. We're getting ready for Canucks and Dallas Stars. Uh, before we do that, let's get to our next guest, Shana Goldman from The Athletic. Thanks for this, Shana. It's uh, December 21st, and the Vancouver Canucks are still really good. Can you believe it? I can believe it. Like, we were all counting on this to happen, right? It had <laughs> to happen eventually. We all knew. We all knew this would, would very well happen. It's uh, It's been crazy. I know we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, how sustainable is it in, in these types of conversations, but I think the Canucks have, have set themselves up to – at least have a, a solid foundation. And, and it may not be in their offense, which by the raw goals for, they lead the league. But I think it's actually their defense that makes them uh, at least 
a good hockey team, especially in this Western Conference? Yeah, the offense definitely has some holes in it. Like, you look at the fact that, sure, they're scoring goals at the highest rate in the league, but they're also still shooting at 5-on-5, five five, you know, 11.6%. That's the highest ever right now in the analytics are going back to, you know, 2007-2008. Generally speaking, it doesn't stick around that high. And, you know, we'll see what they do to change that. Obviously, we know they have a lot of finishing talent, but we'll see what kind of fundamental offensive tweaks they can make to, you know, build on the high shooting percentage and, you know, like create something a little bit more sustainable. But you're right, the defense has been really good. And, you know, the goaltending is the difference maker still for this team, without a doubt. But they're doing a good job protecting the slot area. Well, you know, the slot area from quality chances against and they're above average team defensively. It's something we know they've struggled with before, and obviously this isn't a fully healthy blue line, and it's not even the perfectly built blue line. Like, they went for a lot of depth options instead of, like, bigger names. They really mm-hmm. have one or two big-name players. But the fact that, you know, they're clicking and they have a lot of forwards who are playing well defensively is a step in the right direction. Well, and, you know, the, the thing about just in general, too, you're right, uh, offensively is kind of where they have to make up ground. But it's also interesting kind of looking at the teams that are having success and, and how teams are playing and trying to create offense. Uh, and like the Canucks have obviously the shots on goal, their volume is low, and even the volume of chances is obviously not as high as it needs to be. But it, it really seems like they're prioritizing trying to get uh, chances from the slot and inside, and they really look for tip plays. Like they have, Their offense is kind of built around doing something very simple, but try to get to the middle of the ice very, a lot. When we look at the rest of the league, what trend are you seeing in terms of trying to create scoring chances versus shot volume right now? It definitely feels like a lot more teams are prioritizing quantity over quality, mm-hmm. uh, quality over quantity. And I think that works, you know, but ideally you have a little bit of both. Why not? Like who wouldn't want that? It's kind of interesting because last year we see this scoring boom from everyone. We know like the power play had a lot to do with it because power plays were operating at an all time high. But even this year, you know, like we know at this point, we have a good idea of what works in today's game. And that's, you know, get to the home plate area, go to that net front if you can. If you can get tips and deflections, it's really good. If you can get a lot of puck movement before a shot and force a goal and move laterally, that's a step in the right direction. So teams obviously are learning from that. But it's always kind of interesting when you look at the teams you expect to be a top team to see like what they're doing. You look at a team like the Boston Bruins, you expect them to be this top-notch team and their record would tell you that, but they're not dominating play as much and you see a lot from the net front area, but not as much from the spot and up the middle of the ice. So I think it's kind of interesting uh, how, you know, we're seeing teams like the Canes. We know them to be really good. They're also kind of getting stuck to the outside a little bit more. So I'm I'm wondering how much that's going to change as the season goes on. We know some teams have made defensive adjustments. I don't think that's the full story there, but it definitely seems like there's some teams that are really getting stuck to the outside, but then we're also seeing other teams just thrive a five on five like we would expect them to, right? We're seeing teams build off of the last few years of what made a team successful. How do we do that? It's, you know, have a good rush-based offense at five on five, get to the, you know, scoring areas finding ways to turn defense into offense, like basic ideas. So I guess we'll see where it goes because we're not even at the halfway mark. I know uh, in a recent piece you wrote, you talked about uh, which teams are excelling the most in different game states. And the Canucks, not only do they lead games a ton, but they tend to do pretty well with the leads and they hold their leads very well. It's 
I think this conversation kind of ties in all together and, you know, the way that uh, Rick Tockett has instilled a, a game management sort of mentality into this Canucks squad. I think that's, that's played out in a lot of their games where they've built early leads and been able to hang on to them. Yeah. And that's an important skill to have, right? You want to be, even if you're a high event team, you don't want it that your high event is that you can't hold the lead. You can't have it that you're super chaotic. If you look at a team like the Ottawa Senators, they're a team that can create a lot of offense when they're up in a game. And that's really good and encouraging because we're so accustomed to seeing that defensive shell but they also happen to allow a lot back. So they, they have that like erraticness to them that's hurting them. And it seems like the Leafs is similar. Vancouver is doing a really good job holding their leads and they're scoring a lot to run up the score. Um, and they have outstanding goaltending while they're up in games. And that is their X factor, right? Thatcher Demko in every which way is their X factor. There are areas I think they should want to build on. And, you know, it's interesting how many Pacific division teams we're going to be talking about like with this because you have Vegas, LA, and Vancouver, and they're all in the conversation of like who's really good at holding leads or who's really good at coming back in games. And the three of them rise to the top. The difference between Vancouver and LA is that LA does a little bit better of a job generating offense below the surface to kind of back up their scoring and limiting those chances again so their goaltending doesn't have to be as heroic all the time. So I am curious how this plays out for the two teams because we could easily see then trend in opposite directions if that keeps up. But something tells me with Vancouver, we're going to see at a certain point, you know, even if it's, it takes a little bit of a losing stretch to get there, you know, and that's their wake up call. I wonder if we'll see that improve below the surface as well. So Demko doesn't have to be so perfect. I'm curious your take on this. Sat and I have, have talked about it a bunch and just uh, how reliable the, public data is that that we're able to see from the National Hockey League and you know they've given us uh, some some bits and some crumbs with the uh, the NHL edge data but you know, some of the things uh, even Edmonton's numbers this year with their expected goals and things like that and and I watch them and I you know yeah maybe they don't give up a ton of chances but when they do they're quite large chances and you almost feel bad for the goalie who's going to have a tough time making that save. And I, I feel it when I watch Ottawa, maybe even Buffalo to a certain extent, who's had a really tough time defending this year. Uh, like, how do you feel about the discrepancy between public data and maybe what teams are looking at right now? So we had a, a whole conversation on Team Many Men about this today with Allison Lucan, who is as brilliant as can be talking about this exact thing with the Seattle Kraken and how the expected goals numbers that we have in the public sphere are going to make someone like Joey Decord's play so far look worse than it actually is. And, you know, she was breaking down all the reasons why it isn't as bad as the numbers show and why that context is so important. And it is. For a team like Edmonton, it's great and wonderful that they were, you know, one of the better teams in their shot suppression, their scoring chance suppression, but the breakdowns that they're having, the rush shots against that they're allowing, there's so many more layers that we should be able to break down to actually mm -hmm. analyze what's going on that we're just missing in the public sphere. It, it really hurts us. It hurts that we don't have pre-shot movement when we talk about expected goals because we know the danger a pass can add to a shot. It hurts that we can't talk about whether something was a rush shot, a rebound, a second chance, of you know something off the forecheck or the cycle because we're missing those details. And the model builders do a great job working with the information we have and finding proxies. Mm -hmm. for whether something was a rush or a rebound or a second, you know, a second chance effort. And it's so helpful to have that. But there is a big difference between that and what's actually going on. And we all know that and have to acknowledge it. 
it's just tough when we talk about how much things have advanced and how much things haven't, you know, how we're kind of getting to our wit's end with the public data available. It would be really incredible to see what the model builders, you know, hockey biz and evolving hockey and money puck and everyone in the public sphere that's doing such an incredible job, what they could do with a little bit more data to help us learn more about the game because there's so many more insights that we're missing. And obviously teams are always going to have an edge as they should. That private data is a jumping off point for them, not the start, you know, not the finish, which it probably would be for us. Um, but there's there's so much that we're missing from it that would really help us tell the story of what's going on with the team a lot better. Yeah, because I mean, I have a lot of conversations with with, with people uh, in the game, especially with the team every once in a while. And I always keep hearing, it's like, well, our proprietary data tells us this and you guys don't see this. And I'm like, that's great. I just wish I could see it. We, we <laughs> have a better idea of actually what's going on. And I guess, you know, not to get too deep into this, but here we are nonetheless. It's, it's a bit. It's a business too, right? You have Sports Logic. You have other uh, companies that 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 have this type of data. So in terms of just making it readily available, it, it's it's very. It's a pretty gray area, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there are media partnerships with data companies, mm-hmm. and we're lucky. Like someone like Megan Chaka is going to be tweeting out. You know, here is the top ten passing combinations she had today out there, and it was really great to see. And it's something to take in. And you know, we'll see Sport Logic numbers sometimes get put into the bugs public sphere and it does help to get those bits of information even if they are jumping off point right maybe they'll point out something that we didn't know just by watching or we had an idea and now we're going to dive into it with the data we have in the video and we're going to find something you know to make it all make sense and that's great to have but like you're right it's a business they can't just give out this data for free Mm -hmm. the nhl is also a business though and they have all this fancy puck tracking and it just feels like there's so much more that they could release to the public with it. And it's nice to have what we have, shot speeds and skating distances. It would be nice to have something that's more than just fanciful data. And obviously it would be great to have more context with it because that's another like tricky part of it. Like I was working on the Ovechkin story the other day and I'm looking at his shot speeds and I have two years. I don't have the context of what it was for the 10 years before that, which would help. And obviously that's going to, be something that takes time. So hopefully this database grows and it just doesn't keep shrinking to two years or something like that. But I'd love them to turn this into something a little bit more tangible. It, I don't know if that'll happen, honestly, because the NHL is the first league to be like, oh, fans don't want X. Like, they don't want to know salaries. Like, they do. You just don't know what the fans actually want. So I don't know if this will ever happen. I'm just hoping it will. I'm curious uh, what your thought might be on on Andre Kuzmenko right now, who's uh, very clearly in the in the doghouse with the Vancouver Canucks, getting another healthy scratch. Scored 39 goals last year. We knew the the shooting percentage was not going to be sustainable from from last year, but to see how far he's fallen uh, is still quite surprising. Uh, what do you think is next for Andre Kuzmenko, and and what did he do well last year that that helped him have so much success? The finishing. That that was the star of last season. And it wasn't realistic to think it was going to continue at that rate unless he picked up the shot volume, the shot quality, something to add a little bit more oomph behind the goal scoring, Um, which I know it sounds so easy to say, but, like, we we should be honest about it, right? Like, in hockey, you can have these streaky years and you can have those super hot seasons, and it can literally be a matter of luck. It could just be one year you're feeling it and you ride the wave throughout the whole season, whatever it may be. But this drop-off, I think, is uh, a lot worse than anyone could have anticipated. And obviously, 
you know, for the right reasons, he's being demoted because it's not just that he's not finishing his chances, but you can see his defensive numbers are really bad. Um, I don't think it's the fact that he's not moving up is solely because of the ice time or solely because he's on the fourth line, you know, and it's going to be tough for him to succeed there and move back up in the lineup. It just kind of feels like the way his game is trended, I don't know what else he could do at this point. You know, when he's in the lineup, if he's still on power play one, like that's an encouraging part because if you can get some some shooting luck, some scoring luck and turn it around, maybe that's going to be a step in the right direction for you. But you can't continuously throw someone out there in the top six if they're going to drag everybody else down too. Well, and I, and I think that's the the biggest issue here because as much as you know, people talk about Audrey Kuzmenko's game, and maybe they should give him rope, but it's, it's all mistakes are not equal, and sometimes when players make mistakes that go against what your responsibility is, coaches are going to have a harder time trusting that type of player as well. And you know, just in terms of players that that also score a lot without having uh, a high amount of shot volume, that's a big thing with Andre Kuzmenko's game as well. I mean, is there any way to offset a high shooting percentage outside of shooting the puck more? Um, that's a good one. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, you know, we've had this conversation with guys like Patrick Liner before. Right. You, you know, you hear that all the time. Like, what's he going to do besides red or hot shooting percentage? Some guys are just snipers. Yeah. They are not volume shooters. They don't age as well. We know that much. Um, so you should try to expand on your game to have a little bit more longevity to it or pick up passing a little bit more when you don't have the puck. I mean, that, that is what can give that line all the deception in the world that they are watching you knowing you're the one with all the finishing talent but you can you know thread a really nice pass like that is a whole another element of dimension but other than that i guess you just have to practice your shot and make sure you are as efficient yeah. as you can be that you're going to only get say three four shots a game but ideally a player like that is just put in a position to succeed and that's to thread them the puck a little bit more because if they if they have someone constantly teeing them up, that'll better their chances of boosting their shooting totals, which is going to better the team's chances of having them score. So I guess that would be the one method that would come to mind for me. On the flip side of that, I know you wrote recently about Alex Ovechkin and, uh, you know, he didn't score again last night, did have a couple of chances. Uh, the shot volume is still pretty much there for him, but, you know, we're seeing a, a career low shooting percentage is, this age, is it uh, just some bad luck? Uh, what are you seeing with Alex Ovechkin? It's a little bit of everything. The age is a factor. He's 38 years old. He looks older. He looks slower out there. Absolutely. But I don't think it's everything. I, I, like, I can't stress enough, this is someone that had 42 goals last year. Yes, it's a drop-off. Yes, it can be super steep at age 38. And the year-to-year difference can be huge. We have a, such a small sample of players who have made it this far in their NHL careers. So we can't blindly say like every single player in this position does X, like the sample is just not there. Um, I think the problem is the shooting is down at five on five. That's an issue because he can't rely on power play scoring alone at his height. That's taken up 50% of his scoring, but generally it's around 30 plus percent. So you still have 70% of the game to worry about. And he doesn't have good passers around him right now. Someone like Dylan Strom was a very good passer last year. He's more of a shoot first player. Someone like uh, Kuznetsov is struggling so much. His passing has dropped off so much that it's going to hurt, too. That's why he hasn't played with Ovechkin as much. He was dragging him down. On the power play, though, it's tricky because you're looking at him going, he's shooting the puck at the same rate, and he's generating a ton of scoring chances still. But a higher percentage of his shots are getting blocked this year, and 
I think the passes that are setting him up are putting him in a position to fail too. You can see that this power play unit just isn't as deep, so there's a lot more focus on Ovechkin, and a lot more penalty killers can get in his shooting lanes and kind of overcommit to him in a way that you couldn't before. You did this before, you were probably getting scored on from someone else on the top power play unit. That really isn't the case anymore. So everybody knows, try not to allow him to get the puck. When he does get the puck, though, it's often coming from the point, you know, John Carlson or Erasmus Sandin, because he does play 95% of the power play. And that's another conversation to have is whether he can even do that at this point in his career. But those shots aren't forcing a goalie to adjust as much as they would if he was being set up from, say, the right circle, which obviously we know in his heights he did a ton because of Nick Backstrom. But I think having that lateral movement to set up his patented one-timer is what he's missing. And if you go back to last year's one-timer goals, half of them were preceded by a cross-team pass. So I think that would be a nice difference if someone could step up in that role and step up in that playmaking role. I, I think that's dragging him down. But, like, as much as we can sit here and say, hey, he's going to turn it around because it's just bad shooting luck. And if we look at expected goals and we don't factor in his shooting percentage, he's still on pace for 35 goals. So maybe he'll, you know, start actually hitting into that pace soon. I would worry about his stamina down the stretch. We've seen it kind of taper off in recent years, and now he's another year older. So I wonder if that hurts his chances of rebounding as much as you would think he should right now. National hockey writer at The Athletic and one-third of the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, it's Shana Goldman. Thanks so much for this, Shana. All the best. Thanks for having me. Uh, there is Shana Goldman. Uh, always brilliant with her insights on the game. Jan Pro, it's the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.com. CA. Uh, again, I, I know it's a, a, a constant conversation and maybe people are starting to get tired of us beating them over the head with it, but the discrepancy in the public data versus you know what teams are using and what we're seeing in the National Hockey League. Well, and as Shana mentioned, if uh, we have a bit more access, maybe we can tell a better picture with the numbers than we, what we currently can. And so the Canucks will forever be the PDO Kings. That much we know. Well, they do it again tonight against the Dallas Stars. We'll get into the pregame. It's coming up on Canuck Central.